This is a Sharp Old Hat podcast and my name is Chris. I had the privilege to chat to an accomplished painter of international repute who patiently sat with me, me, a philistine when it comes to visual arts. Richard was very kind and interesting and most insightful and above all a great person to spend a few hours in conversation with. He was extremely generous with his time and agreed to do a second podcast which we'll produce next week to give me a guided tour of his marvelous studio and introduce me hands-on to his work. This is a conversation with Richard Hearns. Actually, how much time do you spend on working in the studio? Um, I think I used to be a lot more regimental about my time when I was younger. And uh, I used to treat it like a day. Hmm. Or when my wife Boo came from Thailand and started to work in, in Dublin, I used to kind of work to her timetable as well. She, hmm. was a chef, she was chefing. So I'd work the same hours she would. And then yeah. when we were off, we were off together, kind of. And then, I, if, like, a, a few years ago, around 2015, I, st I started to treat it more like, um, you know, when the muse would, would, would talk to me a little bit. Yeah. And I'd spend, I'd spend time painting then, kind of when, when I felt like it. Yeah. But actually, uh, now I've realised that doesn't really work for me. I, I, I'm much better if I'm structured. Yeah. And I really find if I get into the studio early in the morning that um, things are good. I'm much fresher in the morning, naturally. And yeah. uh, I try and get solid kind of chunks of time in, in, in the studio. And then I balance that with going out into the gardens and so that's more do different things. I'm, f I'm always refinding my rhythm, Chris. It's always... It's, it, I'm negotiating it all the time yeah. because your brain is telling you one thing and then your heart is telling you another thing and then the projects that you know you have to work on mm. are telling you another thing as well so it's, it's a balance I'm always trying to strike a balance but it fluctuates I think uh, but, I mean it does take discipline because I spoke to a lot of musicians and um, for them obviously it's it's what they do is mostly a nighttime job that's when gigging happens that's how we can make money as a musician and um, for them it's always kind of uh, a balancing, balancing act of um, being creative on cue, so to speak, mm. even though just playing your music doesn't necessarily uh, require an awful lot of creativity in itself, you still need to be in the in the mood, sure. you know, as you said, the muse, like, you know, yeah, the inspiration yeah. needs to be there and to be good, like, and when you're painting, obviously, that keeps, so nothing really forces you to start at 10 o'clock. No. Uh, you know? But I find there's certain mechanical things I can do that get me into that space then. Oh, yeah. So, you know, more recently I go into the studio and on my, my palette I start to mix up big swatches of colour, basically. Yeah. And then I find as I'm mixing colour, certain things start to connect in my, in my brain. Yeah. And then that starts to connect with my eyes, and then I start to see 
where the color could go, basically. So over time, you basically developed a routine to stimulate yourself as one would have a coffee in the morning, for example. Yeah, that's true. There's yeah. several little hacks, I suppose. Yeah. I know that's a word that's used a lot. Yeah. But I'm just thinking now off the cuff, yeah, there's, there's lots of little hacks I have just to get me into the mood for... Yeah. For, for the painting because for some reason there's resistance there sometimes mm. you know you probably know as a guitarist as well yeah. what's it like for you do, like I know you do a lot of your guitar playing um, as an aside from your other parts of your day yeah. life but do you feel like you want to be producing something or you want to be improving or learning a certain song how do you get into the space to do that well that's that's just it um i am just i have a very short attention span so i need to be in the mood for anything and uh, whether it's bringing the trash out or fixing the fence or playing guitar i need to be in the mood for it and when i know i'm in the mood then i can actually produce and because i don't have to rely on guitar playing uh as a kind of a source of income um or being the thing I do, never mind the income, um, I find it relatively easy to be distracted as much as I find it very easy to get into the mood mm -hmm. because I don't need to do it on Wednesday or at 10 o'clock. And I have stretches where I don't play at all for several weeks and then all of a sudden something clicks and then I spend 12, 15 hours just trying to work out something. If I had to basically be fit for Friday night to perform and I need to, you know, practice a few riffs, just get the dexterity going, like, I probably would fail miserably. Because <laughs> okay. I'm so easily distracted. Oh, look, there's a butterfly. Yeah. <laughs> when does Coronation Street start? You know that sort of and shit. And have you ever been in that position where you have a gig coming up kind of... And you need to learn a few, because you're going to actually have yeah. to perform, yeah. I, I, I was, but um, again, um, that was, that's, that's years and years ago since I was actually properly gigging, like, um, but uh, that was playing in a band. And playing in a band then is easy because you have other people yeah. to tell you it's time. You have to appear, you have to appear on stage so in that don't make us look foolish you practice your shit too mm -hmm. you know, if, and they're if there I to carry you if you're playing really bad they can probably absolutely help out a bit yeah. yeah and and you know your job is solitary so you have to be self-reliant in that and know Super. your own sort of methodology very well it's Think it's probably easier solo, now yeah. as you progress yeah it's true yeah, you do, you do. You need a certain amount of discipline because painting takes a lot of time. Hmm. It does takes takes time to produce a painting. You know, like what's a lot of time? Uh, obviously, how long it's, is a piece of it's, string? Yeah, it's really strange, Chris, because certain pieces they're like gold dust. They come together really, really quickly. Yeah. But they only happen because you've spent 20 years painting, if yeah. you like, you know. But they come really quickly. And I love those paint paintings. I always remember those because you, you've really got out of the way and the painting has just presented itself nearly to you. Um, a lot of paintings are hard fought. Mm. You've got you to work hard because painting is, is constant problem solving. It's like you're solving a, one problem after another. Every time you put a brush stroke on, uh -huh. it shifts the the composition or whatever. So you're constantly problem solving. 
Can you actually leave a painting sort of half finished for a couple of months and go back to it then? That's an amazing um, thing actually, Chris, because time does play a massive part yeah. in, in a painting. So again, I have certain things that I learned off other artists or picked up in, in maybe in art college where you might turn a painting away and not look at it hmm. for a few weeks and then come back with fresh eyes to assess it. Yeah. And the first few moments are very important. Yeah. You know, what does your gut tell you? What does your instinct tell you? And the painting, uh, the way I'm making work now, it's so intuitive. It's, it's, it's less about classicism and, you know, creating a, um, a representational image. Mm -hmm. It's more about um, communicating a feeling or creating a composition yeah and um your your good instinct on seeing the image after not like forgetting the image completely oh, yeah. and seeing the image and then coming back to it is is really helpful so you kind of i find you you, you attune to the you're receptive to the feedback straight away I'm yeah. looking and then you go with that instinct and uh, that usually brings the painting forward and sometimes you don't have to touch it again sometimes the piece is just finished uh, do you actually have a picture in your mind of what you want to produce which you then kind of trace and bring it onto the canvas or is it something that actually evolves while you're putting the brush to the canvas I used to in some of my work, I used to have a picture in my mind or I used to have a number of references that I'd work from hmm. to create an image. And now I don't actually. It's, it's literally one brushstroke after the other. It's very okay. instinctive. Yeah. And when you say um, that um, your, your, your work itself is solitary, um, actually I said that, but uh, it is agreed that your work is solitary. Do you actually have feedback from other people, like your wife, for example, um, while your work is in progress? I definitely do um, ask Boo to come into the so studio. So you like it, you ask, yeah? I do, I do. I, I, at, certain, at a certain stage, mm. when I feel a piece is becoming resolved sometimes I want feedback and I want somebody else to come in and kind of energize the painting by looking yeah. at it I feel like they nearly bring the painting alive you know when somebody else is looking at it yeah. as well it's it's interacting with that person um, so I often bring Boo in at a certain stage to look or maybe some other trusted friends mm. but it's really strange sometimes Boo would say like I love that image and then I have to destroy that image. I can't, I, yeah, okay. it, it, not just Boo. Some, somebody might make a certain comment about a work. Yeah. I know the painting isn't there. I, I know it. Yeah. So I didn't maybe bring them in to see that piece, but they've seen this and they're like, don't touch that. You know, people say all sorts of things mm -hmm. when they're in the studio with you. Um, and, and you learn to just live with that and for it not to affect your own judgment, but 
Sometimes I, I, I go away and I know that I need to do more to that image. And sometimes that means destroying the image, really, or eradicating the image yeah. and a new image emerging. It's, it's a really strange process. That is really strange because, um, particularly when you get positive feedback, like um, that would be something that should, as an idea, encourage yeah. you to follow down that path and maybe perfect it. But um, seeing that... Um, Painting seems to be a form of expressing yourself, which is really just coming from you. There's no, um, there's not really an outside force that puts your hand onto the brush, which then goes onto the canvas. Um, it's all coming from you, and then someone um, no, well, there complimenting is, you. No, there is. There's the, the history of line and form, and the history of art is there all the time. It's it's. All the paintings you've seen, all of those things, they're all present for sure. Uh -huh. It's there. But I think the reason that I would change an image or whatever is that I know that in order to really progress that more layers or something need need to happen uh -huh. to that image in order for me to be to become more um in order, in order for me to progress, in order for me to, to, to grow, I have to push the image, and sometimes you have to push it to oblivion. And you learn more from destroying something, it's funny, okay. than from actually, you know, um, I've, for example, I've about, I think there's 30 quite smallish canvases in my studio at the moment, and I, I would say that there's many paintings have happened on each of those panels over the last number of months, but I have to keep w reworking the compositions until I have something that's really, really unique. So is that kind of a gym, those 30 canvases, where you work out before you go onto the real thing, sort of the match day? Oh, that's a cool question. It's funny because I've made bodies of work recently. I, I made a series called Time and Tide, and then... The series I'm currently working on is, is called Landmarks. But the Time and Tide series, there was 30 small panels, and then they informed a really large work, okay. a really huge work. And then with Landmark, it's also the same. There's 30 sm around 30 smallish panels, 18 by 24 inches. And then there's a 7.7-metre canvas. <laughs> That's about two metres high. And... A lot of the marks that I'm creating on the smaller canvases are kind of coming into this larger painting. Um, but I digress. I, I, what did you ask no, me again, th Chris? That's cool, whether the, uh, whether the um, smaller oh, canvases... Oh, yeah, work out. Yeah, so in a sense, yeah. they are, but each of those things are an entity unto themselves as well. They're all unique images. I'm not really making them to learn something for the big canvas. Yeah. But what I'm doing is all the conversation that I've had with those canvases is informing the larger canvas. Yeah. So when you talk about that really large can or that really large painting you finished and you have a couple of smaller uh, size paintings leading up to it, is that actually sequential, the way you worked it? Is it like a, a staircase? Um, until you arrived, when you displayed, obviously that is in a way that what it is, but mm -hmm. uh, where from the work process that you did 
number one, number two, number three to arrive at number 12? 12, yeah. Or no, did they... Definitely not. It's more like chaos theory. It's like, you know, that idea of looking at people in Central Station in New York and everybody is going hither and thither. Yeah. And it looks like it's complete chaos. Yeah. But actually underlying the chaos is some sort of order. And I think as the painter, you're there trusting in the underlying order all the time and that's how the paintings come about so they're de they're definitely in the way i'm working mm -hmm. now and like every every painter is individually is different at different times of their practice but the way i'm working now there's a lot of it has to do with that idea of you're just trusting in the process to resolve at some stage um, would you ever just thinking about this now when i look at the composition um consisting of various pieces, of a number of pieces, would you actually change the order in which you exhibit those pieces uh, at times, where it kind of, you're finished, you have the ex exhibition of this particular composition, and then maybe a year later you have another exhibition where you exhibit the exact same pieces, but you kind of go like, no, 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 let's change this around, and maybe the order, and sure. does that ever happen? That's a brilliant question, actually, because... Um, I've started to uh, trust in the curatorial part of a body of work more and more now. And I, that's when other people can be really um, important as well in your process because it's re I find it very difficult to edit. <laughs> and editing is so important. It's, it's, I, or at least I'm, I'm more aware how important editing is now. And certain people can come in and help you edit and see the work in a new light. And by putting one piece beside another piece, you see a dialogue that you would have never seen before. Mm. So it's opening up a whole new conversation, a way to engage with the imagery. And then of course, when the paintings leave my space and say they end up exhibited somewhere else, there's a dialogue with that space, with the history of that room, mm. with everything. I'm really interested in that and I have a brilliant uh, friend and curator in Freddie Burness, who is the director of Cadogan Gallery, a gallery I work with in London, mm -hmm. and they have a, a gallery in Milan as well. And I love when Freddie comes to the studio because he's he's been looking at paintings all his life. Okay. And his father, you know, had a gallery before him, and he's really good at curating a show and editing. Whereas, like, I'm just I. I'm not good at that. I'm I'm just make I'm just making. I'm the maker. I'm just making the pieces. Yeah. And I think uh, Freddie brings a certain. He helps. Um, he helps. He helps the. It's not the story. He, visually, he just helps me see the paintings mm. in a different way. And that brings them alive for me again, Chris, mm. which is brilliant. But how protective would you then be of your work? You have this. Uh, let's. Just stick for my own little head because I'm simply not a visual person. Yeah. But you have a composition of, let's just say, 12 pieces. And um, depending on the room, the actual room where they're being exhibited, someone else, like a curator, helps you to assemble this. Um, how protective would you be of your work if someone tells you, no, 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 Richard, we're doing this differently now? Yeah. Would you be the person then to defend, nah, hold on here now, this is mine? I'm not big enough for my boots yet, Chris, I think. But I always, I've always loved 
how how this gallery hang the work Damn. so I never interfere with them actually they do a brilliant job and for me it's like a surprise Chris because I want to see the work um, in a different context or in a different light because it brings it alive for me yeah. again um, naturally certain pieces I, ha I, I I would say certain things like this work goes really well with this work or if you you know if you suggestive if, yeah I, I make suggestions yeah. because it's all about a dialogue yeah. and a conversation but um, no I'm not kind of pushing my weight around that way yeah. because it, they're bringing their skill set to the f to the fore as well, and actually, yeah. that's their art, and I love seeing okay. them take charge. Yeah, I, I, I get that. And how do you deal with negative feedback? Someone just says, "Nah, nah, man, that, no good." Yeah. Does does that really hurt you? I mean, you've you've, you've spent let's just say a hundred hours on this piece, and someone tells you, "I simply don't like I it." I don't get it. I don't like it. <laughs> That's fine. I think as an artist, you've dealt with... You, you, you learn to deal with all sorts of feedback. Mm. And every painting is a failure as well. Each work, like, okay, you keep making paintings mm -hmm. for, for, for several reasons probably, but every work that you make is doing something and it's it, it's it's propelling you on to the next work to the next work to the next work yeah. it's continuous uh, dialogue but I, I think what I wanted to say was I think you learn to deal with that sort of it's not negativity but you learn to deal with that sort of feedback um, as a painter early on really early on and you just have to keep going because there's millions of, of failures, inverted yeah. commas. Oh, that is life. I mean, that happens. You know, you spot yeah. this lovely girl and you talk to her and she simply doesn't like you. This is life, you yeah. know. But um, would you um, be wanting to defend your position? Someone, I, I, I just say, I don't like this particular painting, it's shit, I really think it's a waste of time. Yeah. Would you be, of course that's rejection, that, that, that hurts, that's not nice, but would you be the person then to say, no, 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 hold on, you have to look at it in a different way yeah, so and explain so it subjective. or would you be more sulking about it? No, no, I've actually I've never had anybody say something that strong, you know, about yeah. a work because I think when people engage with paintings, yeah. it softens their heart a little bit. It softens them. They, yeah. they, they open up. You know, yeah. the way we interact with works of art, yeah. with paintings, is is very incredible. Obviously, yeah. human beings are the only animal creature that that do this, and they put such a value on 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 objects like this. So, I've never had something like that kind of dramatic said. Mm. Um, but uh, you do you do learn to roll with the punches yeah. as well, you know. It's a, no, I was just thinking about it now because I'm looking over your shoulder at the Billy Bragg thing and uh, oh, yeah. the, the Billy Bragg cover, and Lovely. we talked about Billy Bragg earlier. And Billy Bragg, I've seen him lots of times uh, live, and he would actually sometimes there's a bit of a negative vibe going on, and maybe a particular song or maybe something that he would have said, like you know, and he would engage with the audience and would be very straight and forthful and forceful and defend his position. 
position like mm-hmm. and try the to win the audience over that way and then you have someone like Christy Moore just puts the guitar down and goes right, you know yeah. sort of sulking and I've seen that yeah. too like, I've seen know. that I've seen that in in in, in music and performance yeah. and stuff all right yeah. yeah with painting it's so subjective as well and it's really a more quiet environment where you actually um, face the public than yeah. a loud concert venue. Sure, sure. Cri- obviously, critics and stuff will yeah. can can write things that are very damning or yeah. very positive. Yeah. But again, as a creative or as somebody who who works with yeah. the materiality of painting. That's all that's important, really. And yeah. You're just journeying with that with that material, really. So, how did you? She, how does one? How did you become a painter? I mean, was there a moment, or was it just a progression over quite a long time? Okay. That so you ended up where you ended up. Well, I definitely always loved drawing, like since I can remember, Chris. Honestly, um, a lot of kids like that, and I don't. And I don't think, yeah, and I don't think I ever took a break. Do you know what I mean? I yeah. don't think I ever stopped drawing. Which probably teenagers do, then eventually they leave it behind. You never and, stopped. And definitely in my teens, yeah. I used to draw all the time. In fact, you're making me uh, think about uh, certain drawings I made when I was younger, Chris. So, you know, I'd be hanging out with my friends hmm. and we wouldn't always be doing uh, the things that our parents would like us to be doing, the way we'd be palling out. You know what it's like. <laughs> no, I've no idea. Yeah, <laughs> A little gang of Northside County Dublin uh, guys. We we had a great group of pals. But uh, I remember during certain years, probably from my mid to late teens, um, the guys, they used to like, if we weren't like playing soccer or hanging out in parks or, you know, stuff like that, or, you know, going out to clubs or whatever. What kids do, yeah. We, the lads used to love playing computer games. Mm. And I used to make drawings of the guys playing computer games. <laughs> That's excellent. Yeah, it's, it's, I have some really beautiful um, draw, line drawings from back then. And then I also like had friends who had girlfriends, let's say, or partner. And they'd be sitting there uh, drinking a cup of tea and watching a movie. I have drawings of my friends you know, watching movies, stuff like that. It's shit cool that a young person, you know, a teenager would take the time and actually make drawings instead of playing the game and watch the movie. Yeah. This is fantastic. Yeah, I did. I know I did play computer games till a certain age and then something yeah. just clicked in me Odd. where I realized I just loved, I love drawing, Chris. So yeah. so uh, to, to continue on that line, I was always drawing. Then I went to, I ended up in art college because I was drawing all the time. I basically had a portfolio together by the time yeah. I left school. And um my art teacher in, in St. Michael's College in, in Dublin was a really, um, he encouraged me a lot. And he wrote the most beautiful references, I remember, for National College Art and Design and everything. So I loved art class, always drawing. And you obviously did well. And I did, I did well, and I had this portfolio together. And then I went into art college... Because um, you're asking me about, like, how did I become a painter? Yeah. So I didn't know there was kind of a career in painting or whatever. I just knew I loved drawing. So I went to art college, and I was I was in an, a fine art faculty. And then I ended up doing digital media. So I was like a video sound artist in college, but I was okay. always drawing. The drawings were like the basis yeah. for 
the concepts for my video pieces. Okay, sure, yeah. And then I realized that the tutors were far more interested in my drawings <laughs> than they were in my video and sound yeah. work. Yeah. And um, they were much more engaging around my drawing. I think yeah. they were kind of fascinated by my drawing, um, even though it was no big shakes, but they, they really liked my drawing and they encouraged that. Yeah. And then when I... When I, when I finished my degree, I'd spent a lot of time in front of computers and sure. with digital equipment in the sound yeah. studio and blah, blah, blah. And I started to travel more. And I realized that I much preferred the drawing um, process than I did the editing process on the computer or sitting behind a laptop, yeah. et cetera, et cetera. You know? And then the drawing just developed into painting yeah. from around the age of 22. And at around that time... And maybe before I had sold some pieces because people were showing interest and asked could they yeah. buy my work. And then that was it. It just was a, an organic sort of thing. And uh, I couldn't do anything else. So yeah. I was never going to yeah. do anything else, Chris. That's you what know, a lot of I like wasn't going to go and uh, study law or yeah. be an accountant or anything like that because I couldn't do any of those things. The only thing I could do and do well, and I think as a kid... It's other kids tell you you're really good at something or your parents, you keep doing that yeah. thing. So I was validation encouraged. It's validation. It's always nice. So you want more and more validation, course, right? Yeah. Uh, for your self-esteem or whatever it is as a child. And I just kept doing it. But it's odd. A lot of famous, very successful people, may they be footballers, may they be musicians, actors, what have you, um, always say that, um, sure, I couldn't do anything else. Definitely not. So it was really your path. Like, yeah. I, I asked Tom Portman when he uh, knew that he wanted to become a musician, and mm. he kind of knew very early on, he said, I think his answer was something like 13, 14, that he knew this is it, I'm not going to do anything else at all. But there must have been some moment, but you just said that, you, you sold a few pieces, mm -hmm. but was that more coincidental, or did you kind that of go to the yeah. market? Oh, this is great. Yeah, that was really coincidental. And I suppose with Tom, with Tom grew up in such an artistic family as well, that he could see that you can live as an artist, you know, yeah. you can be that... Um, there was, there was definitely creativity in everything in my family, but my father was a, a United Nations peacekeeper. Right. He, he worked for the, for the UN, so he served abroad. Um, um, so there, wasn't, there was art in my house and drawings and things and everything like that, but um, it, was, it was really organic, Chris. And um, there were definitely moments of kind of clairvoyance or clarity. Mm. I think they... The big ones, they actually they happened sequent. They happened in sequence as I was growing up. There, I remember drawing in my bedroom when I was about nine or ten, and I fascinated myself, and um, that I had made this drawing of my hand. I was observing my hand, and I'd made this drawing, and I remember kind of sh shocking myself, like that I'd kind of been able to. Describe what I was looking at. So surprised. I surprised. Your skill. I was surprised with myself, and that I remember yeah. that. You know, I remember where I was drawing. I kind of remember the atmosphere in the room. It was a moment, mm. and I had a couple of moments like that in school with certain drawings that I felt they made me see what was possible, kind of. 
And then when I traveled, I definitely had a couple of nearly outer body experiences. I'll tell you one, one experience I had, Chris, was I, I spent a lot of time in Southeast Asia. So when I went to college, I ended up studying with a Thai ceramic artist okay. whose father had sent him here for his second and third level education. And we became really friendly. And he invited me and my friend Gilda O'Leara, who is a furniture designer um, now. Uh, Gilda was studying model making at the time. But he invited both of us to go with him to his home in Thailand when we were 19. So can you imagine? We were like, Fantastic. yeah, we're uh, going. And it opened up this whole new world. The way I saw color and everything was different when I got there. And a few years later, I think in 2002, I think it was 2002. It may have been a tiny bit later, like 2004. Yeah. I was spending time in Thailand and... I remember making these drawings on woven bamboo. It's like what they make their, their walls of the houses mm -hmm. out of. So there were all these scrap materials. Yeah. And I used to paint on the scrap materials with like industrial paint or whatever I could find. Yeah. And I remember making this painting and then I remember it drying on like the bungalow that I was staying at. It was drying on the porch of the bungalow and I was in the water swimming. Mm. And I remember looking back at the image and just literally something washed over me as well. And I just knew that this is what I, ha this is what I was going to do for the foreseeable future. This is fantastic. Yeah. So you never went through this sort of period of inner turmoil and hardship, you know, up until whatever, our mid-twenties were soft in the head anyway. Um, <laughs> well, it is the opposite. The cortex isn't fully developed, particularly in young men. We don't have the uh, ability to assess risk. Sure. Um, hence all those boy racers yeah. and all those bad accidents. I did a lot of stupid shit when I was young. Like, But um, you didn't have, as an artist, then this uh, sort of... Um, crucial moment where it was we either go left or right, meaning I either pursue my art and be serious about it and try to make a living out of it. That doesn't necessarily mean that you want to become a millionaire, but that mm -hmm. you can support yourself and get the validation uh, economically as well as socially, or I just take the serious job, you know, yeah. because needs must. I did. I did have a point, actually, Chris. I but remember Dad sat me down because... After my degree, I went. To, I I was accepted into NCAD, the National College of Art and Design, and I got a higher diploma in art, craft, and design yeah. education. And this was going to enable me to be a teacher. Yeah, of course. And I remember my dad, you know, being a civil servant and being an army officer, saying like, like he always encouraged me in every way. But I remember him saying to me, you know what's your plan kind of thing. And I think I remember putting my foot down at one stage and saying to my, you know, to my mum and dad, like, I want to be an artist. I want to make, make paintings. Yeah. So I definitely did. There was angst. Yeah. You know, there was that. But that is when you're very young, like 20-ish. Yeah. 
bit up and bit down. You know, this this is obviously something that you felt in you, like Tom, for example, knowing that you wanted to be a musician from the age of 13 on, but that you knew you wanted to do this in that way you defended it. It was felt, yeah, it was felt, yeah. Chris, definitely. But later on in life, you know, that's why I said we're still soft in the head up until our mid-twenties, um, you know, where then this moment comes like, you know, maybe you have a baby on the way, or you have a mortgage to pay, or you just got your first car, new car, and you have to pay the loan you know sure. so that you can't do as a gigging musician on a Friday night you know so th but that was very early for you it was clear to you th that this is what I do yeah I don't know it was just blind faith really Chris yeah. but you must blind have had faith. the need to express yourself obviously yeah and I'm I was so blessed I think with the people around me as well the fact that okay I had jobs Growing up as sure. a kid, you know, I used to wash dishes and I used to be a waiter. I did well, all those things yeah. in my teens and maybe into my early 20s. Sure. But by about the age of 22, yeah. I had fallen into making a living as somebody who makes pictures. Yeah. It's crazy. Yeah. And I think I, I just built on, I built on that. Mm. How much, like, are you still in touch with some of your um, classmates from art school along the way? And I'm, I'm sure, like, art school, I just picture it like, you know, law school because you go through first and second and third semester and all the rest of it. Yeah. Art school is probably a much more drawn-out process because you take um, a lot of education from one place and then a lot more uh, education from a geographically completely different place. But are you still in touch with people you learned together? Yeah, I, I am. I'm still in touch with l lots of people from my yeah. college. And could they all work in the field that they've chosen to oh, well, study? Okay. Um, yeah, it's, it's actually a well-known fact that it's a tiny percentage of people I would imagine who so. leave art college who go on to forge a career in art. I couldn't give you... The statistics, but it's, it's small super small. Yeah, yeah. But I'm proud to say that I do know a few people who have eked out a living and yeah. made and made a living as yeah. good practitioners. Yeah. And then, um, you know, some people go on and do a PhD and end up lecturing. Sure. God, I there was such I had such a talented year. I mean, I was probably one of the least talented. Oh, really? Students. Yeah, for sure. Like, there was some amazing talent in my, in my year. I was always just absolutely wowed by some of the students in my class. Um, yeah, yeah, there was some amazing... Like, one girl, Susan Maloney, I think her name is, she went... She's now living in Japan, and I think she's lecturing in a Japanese... Like, her work was always amazing to me um, I had a, a very talented friend called Mark Redden who, who was in fine art with me, I met him before we even went into college we, were, we have been great friends over the years and um, um, Mark lives in Barcelona now and is still painting and he's a brilliant, he, he, he makes traditional Irish rowing boats Right. Yeah, he's, he's really talented with his hands. Yeah. He actually was a he actually majored in sculpture. Sculpture was his major, yeah. but he was always a painter. And then he went to Crawford Art College, and uh, there was just there was an there was an incredible amount of 
talent in, in my year. But yeah, there's not that many practicing. One would I, I don't know so. what, what careers they went into or whatever, but not well, so many. Life happened yeah. like for every one of us. Yeah. Like, but how much would you say your formal qualification as an artist, I mean, learning the technique, the methodology for your craft, um, like how much of, um, of an influence in the results you're producing now does it actually have or um, is it more about inclination and talent like Eddie Van Halen not being able to read music? Yeah, sure. That's the question. Well, the thing is, actually, I never studied painting. Okay. Um, in my core year, I, there were definitely painting modules and there were drawing modules. Yeah. Um, but I've never been with a painter. I had never really been with a painter. Yeah. It, I was always just making pictures. And then, like I said, I did a degree in digital media, Chris. So yeah. I was, a, it was kind of video, sound, you know, web, web design, different yeah. things like that, yeah. that I, that I got my degree in, yeah. and um, just kept drawing. So I have had little or no formal training in painting, to answer your question. Yeah. And I did I. I used to, when I was a, a little younger, maybe 10 years ago or a little before that, I used to often think about uh, working under an artist mm. in a studio, like doing an appre apprenticing with an artist. And in 2012 or 13, I went to New York. I read a book by a guy called uh, Robert Onry, who was a 19th century painter, and he taught at this uh, uh, Art Student League of New York yeah. um, in this old French-style building on 57th and 7th Avenue. And I remember um, reading this book and just being um, enthralled by how he talked about creating visual creating visually yeah. and I went to New York and I worked for two or three months at the Art Students League in a studio with um, I, it's nearly handed down like his teaching was nearly handed down okay, but I yeah. studied uh, with a guy called um, uh, Greg Kreutz and he, he studied under a guy called David LaFell and um, you didn't really learn anything from them, but you just soaked up so much information in the studio. Yeah. There'd be like 30 of us in this space, and then twice a week the tutor would come in for half an hour and look around at the work we were doing. So it was kind of self-directed, but I learned so much. You kind of you learned by watching other people mess their paintings up. Kind of. But that's what I meant by the geographically different places. Art school kind, of, art school kind of goes on for many, many, many years after the actual college course, if you want. Like, oh, it absolutely. So does. that took probably ten years, and you're still learning. I would imagine. Oh, right? you're learning all the time. Yeah. Like you're constantly, like I said, kind of problem solving and learning, yeah. Yeah. and then refining. You're refining all the time, Chris. I think yeah. now at my age, I'm trying to refine the craft to something more succinct. But I also studied with a guy called Joe Peller, and that's really the only formal study I ever did. But uh, yeah, I learned a lot just from reading books, from looking at paintings. Yeah. You know, 
Yeah, but how many times would you say, like, you know, ever since you actually focused more on painting and left the drawing behind you, um, how many times would you have actually completely changed direction? I'm quite sure what you do now, and as I say, I don't know your art yet. I hope I can come to your studio and actually get the guided tour that you can actually explain this to me, as I am very uneducated sure in this. But um, how many times would you have changed direction? You know, let's oh just in my, my own little mind, um, you start painting apples yeah. and to arrive at painting cherries. You're up, well, you're absolutely right. I, um, I have worked in nearly every genre of painting that there is. Like, I've had yeah. an interest in all of them and wanted to understand as much as I could in my own capacity I would about so, e yeah. each of them. So that was my education. So... I started out making figurative painting, figurative drawings, um, and I worked basically in monotone for years and years, uh -huh. nearly through, all the way through college. Uh -huh. This is a crash course now. Then I went yeah. to Thailand, and I started to see prasmatic colours, like the colours that? that are in your printer. Oh, okay. Yeah. Magenta, cyan, you know, yeah. kind of process yellow. I, I could see those colours in the landscape, uh -huh. and I started to apply them to my paintings. Yeah. And then I got really interested in kind of cla classic classical painting, chiaroscuro, you know, kind of um, like Rembrandt-esque oh, yeah, painting, okay, yeah. golden age painting. And um, I got really interested in the painting of the Spaniards, particularly mm -hmm. Velasquez and um, Goya and mm -hmm. stuff like that. So I started to make paintings after those kind of artists. And then, believe it or not, I got really interested in still life painting in that genre. And I think I brought, I, I practiced still life painting so much for, and made still life paintings for such a period of time. I learned loads about how to apply paint, how to push this kind of viscous stuff oh, around the, the surface. Technical the technical stuff. stuff like, yeah. Oh, it was amazing, Chris, because I found still life allowed me to, to see very abstractly yeah. and to paint very abstractly. Like, you know, um, um, so, so I've, I've gone through all the, the different genres and then I made a big leap in around 2013 mm. and I'd always been really interested in abstract painting mm -hmm. um, you know um, in modernism and in abstract painting and um, in 2013 I remember I lay down on a sheet, a large sheet a cut of canvas uh -huh. and I asked Boo to measure kind of my height and my reach Okay. and that became the format of my paintings ah, I get, you know I get so the approach yeah. it was like something physical yeah. and then I started to experiment with these large scale kind of abstract paintings and it took me a couple of years to figure out how to make these pieces. I think kind of worked on those paintings for a couple of years before I exhibited my first pieces. How do you mean it took you a couple of years to figure it out? I mean, I just, in my own little mind, um, I have a brush, I have paint, I have the canvas, and I just put the paint onto the canvas and I see what happens. How did it take you a couple of years to figure out since you had defined the format? Yeah, that's um, it's interesting. It, well, where were the obstacles like? Um, you just you weren't satisfied in yourself with the image that was that was looking back at you huh? for a while. So, you know, you're using much larger implements and tools. 
so your tools changed a little bit okay um the way you used your shoulder and your arm and your body um was you know a lot more physical because the pieces were so big so th you were tackling something that was very very different than than what you had been used to yeah. so i think that just took a little bit of time but did you not did you not have moments where you were completely disheartened and said fuck this i go back to what i did before because i was good at it or did you really take it on and no i'm beating this one year actually what i did was I oscillated between the two. So <laughs> I had two spaces. So I'd go in my abstract kind of space, and then I had my figurative space. And I worked between the two um, kind of bodies of work so you for, for years. I, ju I basically juggled it. And then um, just, bef just during COVID, actually, I decided that I wasn't going to make any more kind of representational paintings yeah. for a while. Yeah. Believe me, I, th I think about them all the time. I'm always imagining really? representational paintings or getting ideas for yeah. them, but that I was going to, I suppose, um, specialize a little yeah. bit more in the abstract painting. Yeah. Well, I take note that you mentioned it, like COVID, did you actually notice that the lockdown happened or um, did it completely pass you by because of the nature of how you work? Like it, was, it was amazing. It was like a hugely positive experience and a really, really difficult experience. Well, of course, but you're alone anyway. Yeah. On, sorry. No, like, um, so because I wasn't having shows and shows were cancelled, yeah. you had this, you had like long periods of time uninterrupted in the studio, yeah. which was amazing. So I really did see my work develop. Yeah. Um, and I was loving it. I was like, wow, I'm producing these bodies of work and I'm not being pulled somewhere else yeah. and then having to kind of get my head back into the work. Nowhere to be. Yeah. But then I didn't have any eyes on the paintings either. The only way I could communicate was say true social media or yes. showing the gallery paintings the online thing, yeah. so i think artists thrive off feedback as well yeah. so i want people like you chris to come to my studio where you know at certain periods of time you yeah. want to put the brush down and you want to be able to engage with yeah. the paintings and with the world in a different way yeah but uh, no, I just <laughs> in my own. It was weird, Chris. It was, uh, it was I mean, weird. It was Tom, like a wave. Uh, yeah. Tom made his album like you know during COVID. Oh, that's right. You know, the, the kind of lends COVID like the lockdown lends it itself to having a you know providing a great space for like people who work in solitude. <laughs> yeah. No, it was an amazing time to yeah. develop. Yeah. I made I made a couple of really interesting bodies of work yeah. during the lockdown for yeah. sure. My work changed, like. Yeah. Well, I would imagine because you're constantly with yourself and uh, with your wife, yeah. you know, no one else really. But, but as an artist, you, you know, you weren't, yeah. you weren't out there and you weren't yeah. earning a living like you may have been if you'd of been course, having exhibits. Say, yeah. So that was that was a challenge. Yeah. But I had a couple of great years. Yeah. I was living here in Mount Scribe at yeah, the time. It's brilliant. Actually, how did you? You said uh, North Dublin. Like, how did you end up in these parts and then eventually in the burn? Like, where's the connection? Everybody here is a blow in, like, yeah. apart from one or two, but that's about it. Like, well, the Burren College of Art. Um, I was awarded a residency, or I was uh -huh. I was successful in applying yeah. for a residency at that college. And um, 
a lady called Carol Shoebottom, who I'd met years ago in Dublin, told me about this place. Mm. Right? I'd been in County Clare before, yeah. for sure. But um, she said, you should apply to this residency. I'd been doing some residencies in various places. I'd been in Kerry, and I'd been in... I actually spent nearly a year in Mayo as well. Where about so, in Mayo? Yeah, I was in Westport. Oh, all right, yeah. Yeah, down by the, the customs house. Yeah, yeah. And um, at around that time, yeah, I'd worked with my friend Mark Redden. I'd worked at a at a artist kind of <laughs> squat in <laughs> Roscommon for about a about on and off for about a year, and then. Uh, yeah, then I was in Kerry at the Kelrelig um, Artist Retreat. Spent a lot of time there. Was afforded a lot of time to make work there. And um, anyway, I was given this residency. And I remember, Boo reminds me, we drove from Kerry, from the south, up to Clare. And it was a beautiful day. And I remember coming around Blackhead towards Ballyvaughan mm. and just going, this is... And like it was one of the nicest coastal drives I ever took. I'll never forget it. And everything was in flower, and it was beautiful. But I came to the college, and within 20 minutes of arriving in Ballyvaughan, I met a local man called Tom Connolly, and I asked him about accommodation while I was doing the residency. And within 20 minutes, I was looking in the window of a house I ended up renting for seven years. Oh, like that's what's happening all over the place as we're here now. People just meet someone and 20 minutes later they have accommodation. This was it, like, yeah. basically... At different times, isn't it? And then, yeah, and then I said, I remember saying to Boo, this is it. Like, I want to stay here. I love it here. And we did. So just as coincidental as it was for me, internet, like, pretty much, well, this is great. Let's stay here, like... Who told you about uh, County Clare and the Burren? No, we, well, we are in County Galway uh, in the province of Connacht, I believe. Yes. <laughs> no, it was, uh, we um, lived, and it's from Mayo, uh, from Kilala, oh. and... Uh, um, eventually, like people from all over the West end up in Galway because that's the big city where the work is. And um, we moved to Galway just after 2000, I think. And yeah, stayed in Galway for a couple of years before we had kids. Came out to Kinvar just coincidentally with people, had a few drinks, all that sort of thing. We always liked Kinvar. So when we moved back from Berlin back to Ireland, it was kind of clear that we needed to go back to County Galway as such. And Kinvar was just, yeah, that's a cool place. Let's try for it. And look enough, like, you know, it happened. Yeah. But very randomly as well, there was no big plan as such, no family ties or anything. Like yeah, amazing. Yeah, I forget that uh, we're in County Galway because we're just across the border. Here. <laughs> just down the road. It's like. amazing, isn't it? Yeah. Okay, is further than your place. Like. Yeah. But yeah, but it's it's it's. I think that seems to be the story for pretty much everybody around. Like literally anybody I meet, like you know, apart from the handful of Canvarans, like everybody came to Canvara or these. Yeah, County Kinvar, yeah. It's so diverse, and Ballyvaughan as well, there's yeah. such a diverse community. And, and a lot of artistic people, a lot of people with their own unique unique stories, like, you know, it's, it's a fantastic place in that sense, like, never an, run out of um, interesting people in a way, like, oh, a um, couple of nutters among them as well, like, you know, <laughs> I'm one of them. But so your story was basically as coincidental as most 
other people as well that you ended up. And how did you um, create your studio then? Because I've been in your studio once, like, and it's just a fabulous place. Was that something you very deliberately wanted, or did it kind of just randomly fall into place oh, as well? Well, it was hard fought for sure because we we rented for about twelve years, Chris. Yeah. You know, and we stayed in the first house down in Newtown, yeah. um, in Ballyvaughan for about seven years. Then we ended up living kind of closer to the Alloway Cave mm. in an area called Ballyalban. Okay. It's, it's lo it was lovely there. Um, beautiful green roads all around. And I always wanted to build a house. Mm. And um, it, was, <laughs> it was a long story, but we, we ended up buying some land in Ballyvaughan Mm -hmm. and applying for planning permission, yeah. which was refused twice. Ouch. And I remember, and we'd been through a lot that year, actually, because my wife, Boo, had, 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 uh, had got leukemia. Ooh. And she spent a year in hospital in Dublin yeah. under very severe treatment. Oh, shit. But uh, she's, she's an amazing girl. She, um, but our life was uprooted that year and we were trying to get planning and we couldn't get planning and all that. Yeah. So it was a struggle. But anyway, it all worked out for the best, Chris. It's amazing. You see, you can't plan any of this stuff. Oh, right? life works out. Life works out. Until it doesn't. doesn't. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so um, I remember after the second refusal, I talked to um, a local friend of mine who's a farmer in the area. Hmm and has been a great pal and supporter of me since I came to the area. And I remember saying to him, look, it doesn't look like we're going to get planning. Yeah. I don't think I can put myself through that process again yeah. because I was tearing my hair out. And I knew I did everything I possibly could to have shown that we were eligible and that, you know. I heard a few stories. Yeah, like that I, we don't even need to go into that, do it's we? Shit. It's shit. Um, so it's a Kafka novel, really. It is, it is. <laughs> but um, decided to turn the other cheek, you know, yeah. and um, I said to my pal, look, would you just keep your ear to the ground mm. and see if there's any place like available? I might have to buy an old rundown ruin or something yeah. and renovate. And sure enough, my pal came through Trumps, <laughs> and um, I was renting in Bell Harbour that year. I was renting for nearly two years there, um, a beautiful place, and I had, I had a studio out on the new line at the time, actually. Uh -huh. And um, again, I ended up looking through the window of this old cottage, and that was it. Okay. About a week later, I saw that place, and you haven't seen it all, Chris. We, I need to bring you to walk you around because you came at night time, so yeah, it was dark. Like, yeah, but um, I looked through the window that day with my friend. It was New Year's Day, mm. and then about a week later, it like flashed across the screen of my consciousness, and I could see, oh God, that could be the studio, and you could live there, yeah. and you could renovate this, and wow, I started to see the whole thing come together, and. I had lived on this road mm. here in Mount Scribe in yeah, Gitarra, yeah, yeah. and I, I had met Fergus Quinlan mm. and um, 
I, I ended up buying the place and I engaged with Fergus yeah. because he's an architect, he's an architect yeah. and I love his architecture because I rented one of his houses for a year, well, his daughter's house, yeah, Vera, Vera, and Peter, yeah, yeah. Vera and Peter's house. So I knew what his architecture was like and Boo and I just loved yeah. that house. We, we really enjoyed living in it. It worked for us. So um, Fergus was just brilliant and I had that support and that's how I built my studio. Yeah, because I just, um, uh, as we spoke before, like, you know, this visual thing, I don't have it in me looking at architecture, looking at sculpture, like, oh, nice or not nice. And that's as much of a, a reaction I, I, I can bring myself to have, like. Um, but uh, looking at your studio, coming into, like, you know, it's such a fantastic place. And I can just picture, I mean, I looked at your website as well, like, you know, there are a couple of pictures of you at work, like, and I can just picture that this is a very kind of inspirational place. Mm -hmm. I could imagine when you look out of through those massive windows, like, you know, that, that view is fantastic, like, um, that that is something that furthers your craft, like, and your art. Um, and seeing that I don't have that, I was interested in um, if that was actually um, planned by you or did you just make do with what you have but you answer that obviously it evolved and it was really thought through like yeah the building you know was there yeah um but then having an architect yeah. look yeah. at the space and redesign everything but you had the vision in your head what you just said like, uh, you yeah know, just I, came did. To you. I i, ha I yeah, definitely yeah. had a vision i always wanted an architect yeah. designed yeah. and well-built studio yeah. i um, wish i had that ability right? uh, but I was going to say like, to you, Chris, it's, 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 like, it's like the way you look at text uh, yeah. from training in law school. Yeah, similar. Like, yeah. If you spent time with, yeah. with art and going around galleries, you're, you would actually, that, vocab, that vocabulary would come to you. Oh, it's a muscle, I'm sure. It's, it's just you. a muscle, that's yeah. all, you know. So I'll induct you, I'll initiate it <laughs> with a visit to the studio for coffee uh, someday anyway. They had, um, like when I was in secondary school in Berlin, like being, being a city, like, you know, loads of galleries and, and, and museums around, like, you know, we had to do all this, uh, uh, all those curricular activities. And um, so I was introduced to opera, for example. Hated it, like, <laughs> and, you know, as a teenager, what the fuck is this? Like, you know, they dragged to all sorts of galleries right. and I just hated it just the same okay. like um, as a teenager hates everything anyway but I, I never really um, like I, I got to like actually love classical music in later years then like mm -hmm. but um, with regards to that kind of arts education which we got in a public school like public school in the continental sense not in the British sense you know yeah. the public uh, general education for everyone um, like the visual stuff never just didn't come didn't come but like there's sort of there can strange. be a sort of an exclusivity to it as well uh, where people don't feel that welcome walking yeah. in like kind of cloudy glass doors yeah. into a space or whatever yeah. but that's a cultural thing as well. Oh, like the, I often think the Irish are a real literary community. Yeah. We, we have a brilliant, you know, Probably literary right, community yeah. and storytelling, songwriting, all that. But then true, actually, the, yeah. the visual arts are something that are, are growing and have a lot of potential in Ireland. Yeah. Um, I was at a lecture there recently in Dublin. They were talking about how, how the Belgians collect art and see art yeah. as this thing of extreme of real value so instead of buying like a new car or a bigger house yeah. they'll invest in 
buying a piece of art to enjoy. And that is a cultural thing. It's, it's in their sense, cultural yeah. model. Whereas in Ireland, we're very, we have a very affluent uh, society in certain respects. I know that there's a the polar opposite to that. But that people here statistically spend more money on their, on like going to sports events. Yeah. On cars and houses and sure. things like that, a drink so, and drink and yeah. yeah, it's like social sport events, um, going to the cinema. We're big into all those things, yeah, yeah. but sixty six percent of the country don't go into galleries. That's Whoa. a pretty big percentage. Whoa. Yeah, I was at a lecture there in Dublin just at IPUT a couple of weeks ago as part of this um, kind of gallery. Um, this new gallery initiative where they all come together once a year. I've forgotten the name of it. And um, a lady who works for UPS and Art Basel had put together this uh, presentation around the global art market. And some of it had looked at Ireland and yeah. how we interact. So we're like this tiny, tiny, tiny percentage on the periphery of Europe. Yeah. And there isn't that much interaction. But actually, it's, it's quite positive when you think... Like yourself there, there's 66% of people that have yet to learn. There's a lot of room for... A lot of room for... for, uh, for, 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 for yeah, fulfilling for, that, yeah. Fulfilling that, yeah. Would you say, like, when um, you're about 10 years younger than me, um, would you say when you went through, particularly secondary school, um, that um, you would have had enough exposure in terms of going to sort of cultural events in secondary school, or was that not the no. dumb thing in those very days? Very little, that's, uh, that's it, Chris. That's, you know, even though I went to a very diverse and mixed kind of school. Yeah. And being in Dublin, obviously being in the city, helps as well to have access to things. It does, it does. I actually used to travel from North County Dublin to the south of Dublin to yeah. school. So I was in my secondary school, I was out the south side. Yeah. But there wasn't that much yeah. cultural activity outside yeah. of the m music and cinema and... You know, like we had said, there yeah. there was very little visits to galleries or anything yeah. like that. Even it's changed now. Yeah, it's, oh, I'm yeah. sure secondary school yeah. is so different now. Yeah. They're bringing the kids into gallery spaces and into the the National Gallery. I would have gone into a couple of times and mm. you know into the Museum yeah. of Modern Art, but yeah. very little exposure. Would you actually? Would you fancy teaching to in some form yourself? Is that something you would be interested in? I definitely uh, one one aspect of um, my mission, if you like, yeah. is that I I really try and encourage young people and artists because there's a lot of discouragement out there. To be frank, Chris, there's a lot of it's it's difficult. You know, it's difficult road. Like in what way? Um, discouragement, I, I, I take it to be active discouragement, as in someone saying don't. Or, yeah, there could be a lot of social misconceptions about a career in the arts, I think. Really? Yeah, like, you know, like, you know, like parents saying maybe, well, parents oh, yeah, the are always... Financial stability. Yeah, all that know. stuff. Yeah. Um, so, and, and even to get away from the kind of any negative aspect, I always just, I think encouragement and nurturing is really important for anybody who wants to go into the arts. It doesn't matter if it's singing, like uh, Vera's daughter, Lillian, yeah. or 
anything, anything at all. Absolutely, so yeah. any young people that engage with me, yeah. I really try and mentor them or tutor them a little bit yeah. if I can. That's yeah. something I've always yeah. tried to do. So um, teaching as such, no, I would, I don't mind going and like giving a lecture maybe or something okay. like that. Yeah. Thir- you know, um, in schools or yeah. third level. I remember um, when I did my show at the Burn College of Art back in 2015, I had the junior school come to see the work in the space, and like had them. We all practiced like a meditation in front of the paintings, mm-hmm. and then we opened our eyes, and I asked them, "What do you see?" Yeah. And how did that change as we did little, you know, couple of minute uh, intervals of meditation? And yeah, stuff. Um, that was really fun. So. To answer your question, I really, really enjoy that interaction. And I do get students and young artists reach out to me yeah. a lot. And I try and make time for, for them and bring yeah. them to my studio and show them what's possible, really. Yeah. Because, it, yeah, it's just to show them, open open their eyes up so they can see what's possible. I mean, the teaching isn't for everyone. Like, I... I I wouldn't want to do it apart from the three months summer holidays like but um, no because you're such a like this is the second time we meet in person like and you're such a positive and kind of enthusiastic person like you know it really um, shines through like the way you, you engage with me it's like whoa man this is cool like so open like um, that I'd say would make a very good teacher at the same time I would probably acknowledge as well that you're kind of at the height of your ability at the moment so hopefully that you continue to develop as such but um, that maybe teaching would not be something that you actually would want to do because you have so much more to explore for yourself well actually between my degree and my higher degree or my HDIP in our craft design I I was teaching in secondary schools and I I really loved it Chris and it was so diverse as well Um, I taught at Manor House in Rohini which would be an all girls school you know, upper middle class, very well to do, mm. like really good teacher, really engaged, um, like a really interesting place to be. Believe me, the staff yeah. room was there was dynamic there. Yeah. You know, there was full of dynamics. And then I was teaching in Fedekern in Tala, and I was told that it was one of the five least privileged schools in the country. Whatever that I would, means. I would imagine I've been to Tala once or twice. Yeah, and. Um, I was never bored. The students were amazing. Like, I had really good fun with them. But, um, you know, I remember, like, being concerned that they hadn't had breakfast coming to school sometimes, etc. So it was huge. That was a huge change from, say, Manor House and some of the other schools I taught in. I taught in Swords as well. But really enjoyed my time in both Tala, Swords, and in Rohini. Uh, teaching and my interactions with the students but you know I was a bit of a kid myself uh, yeah of course and, uh, younger and, yeah. you know I think I I think that might have phased out uh, yeah. over time yeah. that the energy for that and the enthusiasm may, may have uh, subsided and, and I, maybe I knew that subconsciously uh, and that, that I knew it was better to pursue my, my own work. Yeah, of course, in any job you do, whether it is like, I don't know, waiting on tables or whatever you do as a young person, any job you do is kind of another stepping stone on the way to become a person, mm-hmm. you know, so that's that's cool, any experience uh, is an experience after all, mm-hmm. but um, there, there, there was something else I meant to ask you in terms of technique, actually, which I forgot, oh yeah, colors, yeah. Um, no, not colors, it says paints, 
Um, how much, uh, because at the moment I'm actually looking at painting this particular wall here, I don't okay. like the white, um, and I thought of a friend of mine who's actually a painter and decorator, and he did his master decorator's fucking exam there a couple of years ago, and it was actually a degree in chemistry. That's Whoa. what it is, like, you yeah. know, what they have to consider and all this. There was half a joke when I, I thought about it before you came in, but then I thought, geez, how much actually do you know about paint, the composition, and the smells of paint? Is that not something that <laughs> in the sort of painters community kind of drove people a little bit cuckoo? Yeah, it's um, it's something that that you actually love. It's the like I said yeah. when we started talking, you start to you start to fall in love with the materiality yeah. of painting. So. I think through still life painting and all that, I realized that it was the stuff of paint that yeah. was bringing me back to the studio all the time. It was actually mixing up. It's kind of like a sort of an alchemy, although alchemy is not a good word to use because it's just so many negative connotations. Yeah. But, you know, you're moving this kind of viscous material yeah. from one place to another and... There is a sort of a magic inherent in it. Um, and then the smells, like, I, wor I, I work primarily as an oil painter. Yeah. So I, I love the smell of oil paint. I love turpentine. I like those. Those smells are kind of <laughs> homely to me. I'm not getting high on them, Chris. They're not bending over the bucket. No, and <laughs> not quite. Although sometimes, you know, you do need to open a window or two. Yeah, yeah, I would um, imagine so, yeah. I don't know if you ever saw the Turner movie, but... You know, no. they, back in the day, they were using a lot of paints that were lead-based. Ah, okay, I think yeah. his, his lungs and yeah. suffered over that because it, it can actually, the lead can be taken in even through the skin. Yeah, yeah. Um, and a lot of the lead paints, when I was younger, I used yeah. to be able to get them yeah. because some lead whites are amazing. They do something that other whites don't do. Okay. So, you, so you do learn about how the yeah. how the different colours react and the pigmentation and all yeah. that. But now you can't get a lot of the lead whites that I used to love. You can get kind of mock-ups of yeah. them, you know, things that are, are, are well, to resemble like, substitutes. Yeah. Exactly. Just take the lead out. Like, um, uh, yeah. but oh, how much do I know? There's a couple of really good books, I think, that you're introduced to in college yeah. around materials. Oh, yeah. So you do learn. Like, recently, um, I was cooking up an old glue. It's, mm -hmm. a, it's, a, it's actually... It's a, it's a substitute rabbit skin glue. A lot of our glues come from bone and animal skin. Where do you, where do you use the glue? I prime my canvases with this glue. Ah, okay. So when you get a piece of linen, Belgian linen mm -hmm. or Italian cotton or yeah, yeah. some canvas. So it's primed like a wall, for example. If you put, if you put oil, yeah, if you put oil ah, directly onto that, it'll okay. eat the, it'll yeah. eat the fibers. So yeah. the, the twill, it'll get into the twill of the canvas and it'll eat that. Yeah. So you have to protect the canvas with, um, with a primer. Yeah. And okay. uh, the primers can be all sorts of different types yeah. of substrates, but... Um, sometimes I use very classical primers yeah. and I use glues, different kinds of glues yeah. to prime my surfaces yeah. before I paint on them. So I don't know as much as somebody who went to, say, the New York Academy or something yeah. like that where they learn... Or like your friend who did kind of a guild degree. Well, yeah, that's what he needed to do. And it was pretty much like a degree in chemistry. chemistry the composition yeah. of shit. And all he does for a living is really painting walls. Like, Amazing, yeah. Um, but, but really knows his stuff. Yeah, yeah. Even well, like, like framers or gilders, they, they yeah. understand yeah. all that. I, 
I've learned about materials through doing, through yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. and how 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 they work yeah. uh, when you dilute them or yeah. you know when you add different yeah. material to them. You ju- I've learned like by feel, basically, Chris. Yeah. And, and you you seem to be. I looked at your website like, and success has now really come to you. Your name is uh, like known well enough in the art world and in, in your world in, in which you you reside. Like, where do you see yourself going? Is there some danger that you actually? At some point, just go, I don't know, fuck this, I'm going to go and uh, become, I don't know, a fireman <laughs> or something. Is there, is there something where you could I'm really getting into gardening at the moment, but I don't substitute the studio. Yeah. But is there something where you could actually find a danger in uh, finding, a, finding a point in this, what you're doing, where you've exhausted yourself? It's a, it's a really good question, because I think you struggle with that balance to... To bring the right energy to make yeah. a painting, you have to kind of fill the well, if you like. You, you in order give to a lot of yourself. You yeah. do, you do. You You're do. Not shift, shifting documents. But, but Chris, I see painting as an old man's game, really. <laughs> it's the longer you do it, yeah. the better you get. And like, take a cue from Picasso or some of the other um, painters that I really admire. I had an opportunity to meet um, a painter called Sean Scully last year. Um, who may have even heard the name? You, you I'm sure. I'm uh, probably uh, sure you have, because he's uh, he's probably Ireland and Britain's most successful yeah, painter. Name, He'd be yeah. like the Gerhard Richter of 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 uh, Ireland. Well, Ireland yeah. claims it because he he was born in Inchicore, yeah. and I got to meet him as, <laughs> at his studio in yeah. um, in Tappan in upstate New York. And Sean is in his late seventies, and yeah. dude, that guy can work. Yeah. He's still painting, and. Um, you know he's zenith like he's at the, yeah. he's he's really at the top of his career he's having multiple you know shows internationally yeah. um around the world but um i just want sometimes chris in all honesty i feel like i'm only beginning to paint now i get that but that must exhaust you as well because of what you invest it's, it's weird. It's no, not the nine to five. I go to the office. It doesn't. It doesn't. It's, it's demanding on you. The painting. I realised I have a renewed energy for it nearly yeah. daily, to get up and do this. And okay, it's got huge. There's huge challenges involved. Yeah. And like you have to make this thing, and then it has to go somewhere and you know you have to find yeah. avenues for these things and. And you hit walls and obstacles. You I mean. do. You do. But. For the love of painting, Chris, yeah. I love it. Like you love music, like yeah. you love certain types of music. Yeah, you never get bored of listening to to Billy Bragg, I, right? I actually do. That's All right. the thing. So I take a long break. Yeah, okay. You know, but um, how are you on the holidays then? Can you actually, or do you feel that you have to go on holidays? You have, you cannot touch another tool of yours for at least two weeks. Mm. Because you need that kind yeah, of time. Again, I think it's kind of organic. It changes. So yeah. um, I have an old pal called Ed McDonald, and he used to always give out to me. He's like, Rich, you need to take yeah. a break. Like, why are you painting on Saturday or during, during the match or yeah. just whatever? But yeah. at a certain time, I knew I had to give it that commitment. Yeah. And then as you get a bit older, yeah, you can take holidays. And like with my shows, Let's say I'm having a show in New York or yeah. in Milan or Mexico City, yeah. for example. Yeah. Um, I think I'm in a group show there in February. 
I'll go over and I'll get a little break and I'll get a cultural hit yeah. and I'll maybe go and chill out for a few days somewhere. Yeah. And then when I come back to the studio, boy, then I'm really able to paint because I see everything with fresh eyes again and I have renewed energy to kind of go, go at it. Yeah. That's, it's, it's, it's an odd profession to have, like, I, I met uh, artists of all sorts of uh, walks, but uh, I've actually never met a real painter in my life. Right. It's funny. Well, one more question I really have to ask. So you have a lovely house there now in the Baron, and um, you're just about to finish um, another extension. Who actually paints the walls? Is it oh, you or yourself? Definitely not me. <laughs> oh, I wreck the place. <laughs> Jeez, Chris, don't get me to paint a wall, no. You know. <laughs> get the professionals to do what they, what they do, yeah. So you wouldn't touch it. You're surrounded by paint and I you wouldn't know. paint the wall. Definitely not, yeah, yeah. A lot of people would say, are you mad you'd save so much money? You yeah, know, exactly. Yourself, but no, I think uh, every, every, yeah. every master to them, their own trade. Yeah. And I really believe in, in, in that. And if you want a job done right, get the yeah. professional professionals to do it and you'd probably yeah my studio now that you visited yeah. like we had a team come to do that with the right gear and everything she you kill yourself trying to paint a space like that well yeah but at the same time i mean this is what you do <laughs> like no um, I, I i i could see that you probably would see what's supposed to be a white wall in your living room like you would end up yeah. having a painting oh, there, like, yeah. you know, and actually don't touch that we have to take the wall apart because it's so great. Yeah. <laughs>